Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. So we're kind of into holiday time. We are. (laughs) And as we approach the end of the year, some people may already be making their plans for the new year. Yeah, you know know what I did? I didn't make plans for the new year, but I did go through my work calendar for the new year, and I marked all the company holidays. (sighs) Nice. Um, Yeah, I mean, I... Listen, we'll talk about this on Behind the Scenes, but we all know I have a little problem with planners and addiction. <laughs> um, so if you're like me, you might be filling out your calendar, checking to see what day of the week your birthday or a favorite holiday is going to be on next year. But here's the thing. What if the coming year was going to be completely different than any year you had ever known in terms of how you marked the days of the year and the passage of time. Like, what if someone decided that we were going to change it all and you had to learn a completely new calendar? That sounds like an ordeal. Sounds awful. Uh, We mentioned the Revolutionary Calendar, which is also known as the French Republican Calendar, in our recent episode on the famous magician Robert Houdin. And his date of birth, we mentioned in that episode, is reported as both December 6th and December 7th, depending on the source you look at, for the simple reason that he was born during this relatively brief period where France abandoned the Gregorian calendar for an entirely different one. And by the time the country reverted back to the Gregorian calendar, the Robert family, and probably a lot of others, realized that they had some dates in their family celebrations that did not quite line up the way that they thought. And that is very understandable when you see just how different the French Republican calendar had been. So today we are going to talk about what catalyzed that shift in timekeeping and the issues that came with it. But to get to the point where we can talk about France's bold experiment, we have to talk a little bit about how calendars developed at kind of a high-level review and uh, got to the point where we're all using pretty much the same one today. 
Yeah, there have been various calendars created by humans throughout history as efforts were made to track time. Some of them are still in use in some context today. The two primary components that have driven almost all of them since the beginning have been the observable movements of the sun and the moon. So the days that follow the rising and the setting of the sun and the moon and the months that follow changes in the moon as it goes through its lunar cycle, passing from the new moon through its various waxing and waning phases, full moon, back to new moon, whole regular cycle of observable things in the world. (laughs) Right. And there have been a lot of different ways of arranging those two things into calendars. For many cultures, including Egyptian and Hindu tabulations, the day started not at midnight, but at dawn. And others, like the Greeks and Babylonians, counted their days starting at sunset. Some calendars have focused primarily on the lunar year, prioritizing the lunar cycle as the main way of determining a year over the solar cycle. The problem is that those two cycles, the lunar cycle and solar cycle, don't quite line up. The Hebrew and Chinese calendars have had a combined solar lunar year, though the number of days in a year is less typically than the calendar most of us are familiar with. And then on leap years, they get not an extra day, but a leap month so that then you have 13 months. If you only use a lunar cycle to determine the year, you end up about 11 days short of a solar year. And there have been lots of different solutions to this problem, and those solutions have had varying degrees of success. Some calendars, like the Chinese and Hebrew ones we just mentioned, add an extra month for basically leap years. Others add extra days. There have always been problems with making those exactly line up. Those problems only get more complicated the longer any given calendar is used. Because what starts out as just a tiny incremental difference causes things to really slide around over time. Yeah. For example, the Egyptians identified the 365-day solar year and divided it into 12 lunar cycles, with five extra days landing at the end of the year. Not perfect, but pretty good. But a solar year isn't really 365 days. We know now that it's 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, 46 seconds. You can even get more incremental beyond that. And over the course of, say, a 10-year period, that difference may not be especially problematic. But as the years stretch on more and more, dates related to things like harvest could get really, really wonky. And absolutely no calendar is perfect, but we have gotten more and more precise. Beyond just counting the days and the months, every day has to be subdivided as well. In addition to starting a day at different points in the sunrise and sunset cycle, variations in how the day has been subdivided over the centuries have been numerous as well. Some of these have shifted with the seasons the same way a calendar might, so that during the summer, the day was measured slightly differently than during the winter when the days were shorter. We talked about that in an episode where we talked about Japanese timekeeping and clocks that had different faces that accounted for all of these. These were called temporal hours, and the day always had the same number to mark the time the sun went above the horizon. 
All the way back to ancient Egypt, there had been 24-hour systems, but that number was separated into 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. So in the summer, when the sun was above the horizon for longer periods of time, the length of an hour at night would be shorter, and the length of an hour during the day would be longer. And we should note, of course, that this was also a pretty localized way to think about time. There was really no accounting for the fact that people who lived closer to the Earth's poles would have different amounts of daylight and night. So places like Svalbard, Norway, which is an archipelago in the Arctic Ocean that experiences the phenomenon known as midnight sun with constant daylight during parts of the summer, just could not function on the same 12 hours of daylight system, for example, that Egypt could. And it actually wasn't until the 1300s that hours became standardized to 24 equal increments in a day. Building on the Greek lunar calendar, the Romans developed the Roman Republican calendar, which was adopted around 738 BCE. This was a 10-month calendar that was really short, just 304 days, with another 61.5 days that were just kind of left hanging to cover the coldest months. So these 10 months have pretty familiar names, Martius, Aprilius, Maius, Junius, Quintilius, Sextilis, September, October, November, and December. January and February got added later, and February was originally at the end of the calendar before it was moved to go between January and March. That happened in the 5th century BCE. This uh, all sounds a little confusing, and it probably was. <laughs> Yeah, the concept of, like, true standardization just was not really in play. In the first century BCE, under Julius Caesar, there was a fairly massive overhaul of this confusing calendar. This combined the Egyptian solar calendar with the existing system to clean up some of those issues with lagging accuracy and the need to insert so many different stopgaps year to year to account for the days that the initial setup just couldn't handle. The Julian calendar, which is credited in large part to an astronomer named Sosigenes, looks pretty familiar. There were 365 days, 12 months of 30 or 31 days except for February, which had 28. The leap year existed, but they didn't add the day of February 29th. Instead, it was February 23rd for two days. I didn't see why that was the case, but it's pretty interesting. It's just so weird and random. To get the Julian calendar in place, Julius Caesar had declared that the year 46 BCE was just going to have to be extra long. It had 445 days in it. The Julian calendar was a big step forward in terms of accuracy, but it also had problems. Specifically, the length of the year had been miscalculated, not by that much, just by 11 minutes and 14 seconds. So again, not something that would be hugely problematic for a while, but the Julian calendar stayed in effect for more than 1,500 years without any major changes, and those 11 minutes added up. If you do the math, over the course of 1,500 years, that turns into more than 11 days of discrepancy, there are still people who use the Julian calendar, particularly the Eastern Orthodox churches. We've had various episodes of the show that have like had different dates depending on like whether the particular place was still on this calendar, but today it's more than 13 days off. Even so, that's pretty good considering how long it had been used. 
The next significant revision of the calendar came from Pope Gregory XIII, who I kind of want to do an episode on at some point. Uh, After having lost a day per century, the Julian calendar was, you know, in this 13 to 14 days off issue by the time of Gregory XIII's papacy. And while we call this a significant revision, it was really more of a correction because the structure of the calendar remained the same. 12 months, 365 days a year with leap years. But to make this correction in the year 1582, the day after October 4th was October 15th, of course. (laughs) They just jumped ahead a little bit. After that, the new rule was instituted that no century year could be a leap year unless it was evenly divisible by 400. So while the year 2000, for example, was a leap year, the year 2100 will not be. This may sound perhaps like a kooky rule, but it actually is something that was developed to help keep the calendar pretty accurate, meaning that we will have a discrepancy of less than a day for several thousand years. It is still not perfect. The calculations used for this actually differ from the solar year by 26 seconds. So it's pretty good, but it was intended to keep us less than a day off for an estimated 20,000 years. And in reality, we're going to be about a day off by the year 4909. I feel like I've heard about, we're doing a leap second. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Try to account for that. Yes, exactly. So the Gregorian calendar was adopted in pretty much any place that the Catholic Church was in power in 1582. And it took a while for it to become standard throughout most of the world. And for a lot of purposes, it pretty much is. It wasn't adopted in Great Britain and its colonies until 1752. Sweden instituted it the year after that. Japan switched to the Gregorian calendar in 1873. China started officially using it in 1912. Greece adopted it in 1923. There's a duality of calendar use for Islamic countries. Uh, So the Gregorian calendar is used for day-to-day life. The Islamic calendar continues to be used for religious holidays. Um, I think the Hebrew calendar is the official state calendar in Israel. Like, there are still multiple calendars being used. Um, An interesting point to note here is that even countries and cultures that are not Christian now or in maybe have never been predominantly Christian, still use the Gregorian calendar, which is deeply associated with the Catholic Church as a secular calendar. It has become an international standard in a lot of contexts. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that countries that never had Christianity are like, yeah, we'll adopt that calendar. <laughs> that's the that's the secular calendar. Um Coming up, we're going to dig into just how radical the French Republican calendar was. Get ready. But before we get to that, we will pause for a sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. 
And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. Say goodbye to complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping and say hello to an advantage with USPS Ground Advantage shipping from the United States Postal Service. Every business faces challenges, but shipping shouldn't be one of them. So keep things simple with clear, upfront pricing. And no unexpected surcharges for Saturday deliveries, residential deliveries, or fuel. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there, helping you counter the rising costs of doing business with a budget-friendly alternative. And keep things reliable with on-time ground shipping, ensuring your shipments get to where they need to go while maintaining your hard-earned reputation. USPS Ground Advantage is your ticket to easy, cost-effective, and dependable shipping. It's the complete delivery service your business needs to rise above the competition. There's never been a better time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Okay, we're not going to rehash the French Revolution here. We have talked about it a lot over the years. That's because it's a really important event in world history. But it's also really complex. It happened over a number of phases. It has a great deal of complexity within those phases. All of that is outside the scope of today's calendar talk. So here's the, the very broad stroke version of what happened to get to the point where there was an idea to completely throw out the Gregorian calendar. By the end of the 1780s, France was near bankruptcy due to the spending of the monarchy on extravagances and also giving money to support the American Revolution. There had been a lot of agricultural problems, including bad harvests and animal diseases. That had left a lot of France's population destitute. And on top of that, the crown was imposing heavy taxes to try to make up their financial deficits. The middle class, which had become the largest component of the population, I read one statistic that it was like suddenly the middle class was 98% of the population, but it had less power than the nobility or the clergy. And all of this kind of made up the ingredients that led to the start of the revolution. Even before the revolution, going back to the mid-1780s, there had been calls for a new calendar to more closely reflect the ideals of France's people. 
There had even been some efforts in that regard, but each of them had proved to cause problems, and it became apparent that a complete system had to be devised. The Gregorian calendar, which featured saints' days and was highly oriented to meet the needs and ideals of the church, felt outdated at a time when rationalism was becoming more and more popular and the ideals of the Enlightenment were supplanting the so-called ancient regime in which the church and the monarchy was, were just so, so closely bound together. In the months following the founding of the First Republic of France, talk of a new calendar turned to action when Gibel Rome was chosen to head up this project. Rome was president of the Committee on Public Instruction in the First Republic, And he did a lot of other jobs as well. Uh, But he was also pretty well-suited to this job of calendar revision because he had also studied to be a mathematician. And he got two other mathematicians to assist, Gaspard Monge and Joseph-Louis Lagrange. And they all worked out the details of balancing a new system to combine the lunar and solar cycles and to decimalize the system. Later, a poet was also brought onto the project, Fabre d'Eglantine, to name everything. This calendar was intended to be disruptive. And that cracks me up. (laughs) We're going to make a mess on purpose. It was meant to completely upend the social order to represent secularism, naturalism, and rationalism. There would be no religious holidays, no royalist mentions, nothing to follow the old ways of the Ancien Regime, Additionally, the metric system, which had been developed in the late 17th century and had been going through a series of refinements ever since then, would be at the heart of this, with as many aspects as possible of the calendar built on a base 10 system. This use of a decimal system was in part to bolster the calendar's identity as being a rational and scientific system, not one that was built based on religious beliefs. I'll note that, like, generally base 10 numbers (laughs) are, I think, older than that. But we're talking about a decimal system. Yeah, where everything is is divided into uh, decrements of 10 (laughs) so that they're easy to calculate and remember. But then they made it really hard. This new calendar still did have 12 months, although they did not correlate to the existing Gregorian months at all. It was not as though they renamed December, for example, to something else. There was really no possible way to make a one-to-one comparison or translation directly from one to the other so that you could quickly do it in your head and remember, oh, now December is called this. The 12 months in the revolutionary calendar had names that referred to nature and natural happenings in the world at times that the months fell. So... Vendemiaire was the month of vintage, a new year and a time to look back on the old, and it also referred to the grape harvest. Brumiere was the month of fog, which fell in late autumn. Frumiere referenced dropping temperatures and the start of wintry weather. Nevoz, which followed, was the month of snow. Pluvios, the month of rain, came after that, followed by Ventos, the month of wind. Germinal, in the springtime, has, of course, the same root as the word germinate, Floréal, which followed, references flowers. Prairial was the month of meadows. Messidor took its name from the Latin messi for harvest. To be clear, this was an early summer harvest. Not, I think when we say harvest, we tend to always think of autumn. That was not the case. Termador that followed was the month of warmth, referencing the warm temperatures of summer. And Fructidor referenced the fruits which were ripened in the late summer sun. 
New Year's Day was moved away from the Gregorian January 1st. The revolutionary calendar started on what correlated to the start of Vendomier on September 22nd. No coincidence, the First Republic of France was established on September 22nd, 1792. So the calendar tied its start to a rebirth for the country as sort of an anchoring principle. These months were only three weeks long because weeks were 10 days long. Each day was 10 hours, each hour was 100 minutes, and each minute was 100 seconds. That meant that while the hours and minutes were considerably longer than they had previously been, the second was suddenly about 14% shorter. You can imagine the panic that this caused among clockmakers who had been working with an established set of gear proportions for as long as they could remember, and suddenly none of that was going to work anymore. (laughs) I think I would just quit and wander into the countryside, (laughs) leaving my tools behind me. I think I would, too. There's a fire in the distance as you walk away. (laughs) Like, that's the end of that. The 10 days of the week were named simply for their numerical order. No more would the days be named for gods or have any sort of religious connotation. So they became primidi, the first day, duodi, or second day, tridi, third day, quartidi, quintidi, sextidi, septidi, octidi, nonidi, and decidi. If you're wondering, this was in part very specifically to make it confusing to people who attended church so that they couldn't really remember what day they were supposed to be going, because this would not be the same week to week since the church still retained the old calendar and observed Sunday as the main day for church services. If you have a whole bit of your belief built around an idea of on the seventh day he rested and now the week has 10 days... (laughs) You're do- you're do- you're doomed. <laughs> yes. So, Fabre d'Eglantine, a poet who headed up naming for all of the new aspects of the calendar, wrote of this whole effort, quote, The priests assigned the commemoration of a so-called saint to each day of the year. This catalog exhibited neither utility nor method. It was a collection of lies, of deceit, or of charlatanism. We thought that the nation, after having kicked out this canonized mob from its calendar, must replace it with the objects that made up the true riches of the nation, worthy objects not from a cult, but from agriculture. So every single day on the calendar had its own name. So while there were days of the week that Tracy had just read out, if you knew the whole system, you could just say, Silex! the French word for flint, and you would know that that was the 16th day of the month Nivez. This episode is scheduled to come out on December 19th of 2022. In the revolutionary calendar, December 19th would be Olive, or if you wanted to include the month, Olive Frimaire, or, or Olive de Frimaire. Each day name was a reference to nature. The day names were themed to their month. The months were themed to their season. And all of the months in each season were designed to rhyme with one another. So, like, the sort of springtimey season was germinal, florial, prairial. Once the system was designed, it was officially adopted in the autumn of 1793 as the decree of the National Convention of October 5th, 1793, This decree laid out the rules of adoption and function of the new calendar and read, quote, the beginning of each year is set at midnight, beginning on the day when the true autumnal equinox falls for the Paris Observatory. 
The first year of the French Republic began at midnight, September 22nd, 1792, and ended at midnight, separating September 21st from September 22, 1793. The year is divided into 12 equal months of 30 days each, after which follow five days to complete the ordinary year and which do not belong to any month. They are called complementary days. Each month is divided into three equal parts of 10 days each, which are called decades. In memory of the revolution, which after four years led France to the Republican government, the leap period of four years is called la Franciade. The intercalary day, which must end this period, is called the day of the revolution. This day is placed after the five complementary days. Incidentally, in case the word decade jumped out at you, it literally means the 10-day week, not 10 years as we refer to a decade. (laughs) Uh, That last bit, though, mentioning the intercalary day, that's normally what you would call a day or a month inserted into a calendar to make the solar year work and correct those discrepancies that pop up. That's an error. Or more accurately, that cannot exist and function at the same time as their leap rule of La Franciade that comes right before it. This has to do with those holidays that made up that gap created by only having 30-day months. There were five such holidays that fell at the end of the year. Instead of being religious in nature, they were all based on the ideals and the virtues of the New Republic. La Fête de la Vertu, which was the celebration of virtue. La Fête du Génie, the celebration of talent. La Fête du Travail, the celebration of labor. La Fête de l'Opinion, the celebration of convictions. I hate that day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I feel like that is when everybody is going to come tell me what they think of something, and I'm like, stop. Stop doing it. Uh, And La Fête de Récompense, or the celebration of honors. In leap years, there would be a sixth holiday, La Fête de la Révolution, the celebration of the revolution, but there wasn't a leap year every four years, as the provision had made it sound. The leap years were to be calculated by astronomers on an as-needed basis to ensure that the year started on the autumnal equinox. This is so messed up, you guys. Stop. <laughs> so doofy. That's that's my fête de l'opinion. Um, the French Republican calendar, incidentally, that problem didn't ever come up because the calendar was abolished before the problem really made itself happen. Um, the French Republican calendar was put into practice on what would have been November 24th, 1793, on the Gregorian calendar, and it was kind of backdated to have recognized September 22nd, 1792 as its official start. So, like, that was point zero, and then the years were counted up from there. While the ideals that led to adoption of the French Republican calendar were shared by a lot of the people of France, actually living with this new system was problematic in just about every way you can imagine. So we already mentioned clockmakers having to overhaul their work, but that was really just the beginning. Of course, since this system was only employed by France at a time when there was an established global trade, there was a constant stream of problems for anybody trying to do business outside of France. I imagine there's similar challenges today for places that, like, in some way have another calendar going on. So 
Not only was there no direct correlation between months and weeks, but even leap years were handled differently in the revolutionary calendar, so the conversion of dates uh, that anybody using the Gregorian calendar had, this was just a constant dance of shifting and and reconciling the days. Official documents were marked with the French Republican date, but if you had to do business elsewhere, those dates really just meant nothing. So business people found themselves just duplicating their work to try to stay in step with their colleagues from other nations. This also meant that things like money cycles, so when people got paid and when their payments were expected to others, shifted around. So if you have ever been in a situation where you go, for example, from being paid every other week to one where you get paid twice a month or even monthly, you know that can be a difficult adjustment. And it was for the French as well. Paydays aside, those 10-day weeks meant that there were only three rest days a month and a much longer work week. That was obviously not popular. Although the fifth day was declared a half day, the schedule was still really grueling. And for laborers who, as we mentioned earlier, wanted to continue to attend church, even if they could figure out what day they were supposed to go, they probably would not have that day off as they would have in a seven-day week. And because of that particular problem, a lot of people switched back to the seven-day week unofficially a few years into the new calendar's use. To top off all of these logistical issues, it was just a lot of new stuff to learn And a lot of people found it kind of absurd and ludicrous. All of the days being named for plants and animals and herbs and things like that might have seemed poetic, but it made for some problems with associations. While the day of Citroia, meaning pumpkin, was a rather charming day of the year that fell in the month of Vendamier, imagine if your birthday or some other important personal event fell on a day that was more like Fumier Nevoise or Manure Day. (laughs) Uh, U.S. politician John Quincy Adams called the revolutionary calendar coarsely vulgar and superficially frivolous. Once it was put into practice, a lot of French citizens kind of started to feel the same way. Right. Can you imagine? What day was your baby born? Manure day. (laughs) That would stink, literally and figuratively. As power shifted in France after the revolution, or there was still more revolution to come, so too did appreciation for this rather behemoth project. After Maximilien Robespierre was overthrown on the date of 9 Thermidor, that was July 27th of 1794, the reactionaries who had unseated him began a pretty vocal campaign against the French Republican calendar for all of the reasons that we have mentioned here. Also, having made such huge sweeping changes to the basic structure of people's lives was characterized as having been a tyrannical move on the part of the Jacobin government. But there was also concern among new government officials that changing all of this again was just going to cause more disruption just as people were getting the hang of it, and that it would set the precedent that they would roll back some of their other truly beneficial changes that had come from the revolution and the founding of the new republic. So, This calendar stayed in place for more than a decade. Sort of. No one really liked the new calendar all that much in practice. Adopting new festivals and holidays and giving up the ones that had been in place for centuries was something that just never really caught on. People may have wanted new leadership for France, but they also wanted their traditional holidays and feast days. 
by the time the year eight of the new calendar rolled around, the years were always written in Roman numerals, which I did not read as B-I-I-I, but I could have. Uh, The new festivals were no longer being held, but the calendar itself was holding on. It was finally when Napoleon Bonaparte came to power that as first consul, before he became emperor, he and the Catholic Church reached the agreement known as the Concordat of 1801. This reestablished the status of the Catholic Church in France, although not as the country's official religion as it had been in years before. The Concordat of 1801 also did away with the 10-day week and let people go back to officially using the old days of the week name. So welcome back, lundi through dimanche. But the months and the years of the French Republican calendar remained for almost five more years. Finally, on January 1st, 1806, Napoleon, who had in the interim declared himself emperor, reinstated the Gregorian calendar in its entirety, and France was back to the same timekeeping and calendar as most of its neighbors. Professor Howard C. Warren of Princeton University wrote a paper called Psychological Aspects of Calendar Reform, which appeared in the Scientific Monthly in 1931. He wrote about the real issue of adoption of new modes of marking the passage of time. Quote, in the efforts made to reform our lopsided calendar, too little consideration has been given to the principles of psychology. The popular mind clings to tradition and the fundamentals of life as shown in our persistent cleaving to our bewildering system of weights and measures and the British adherence to their inconvenient monetary system. It often requires a social cataclysm like the French Revolution to uproot these traditions. Clearly, though, these traditions did not stay uprooted in France, and this effort just sort of fell into history as an interesting and weird experiment. (laughs) The revolutionary calendar was also dubbed, quote, the most radical attempt in modern history to challenge the Western standard temporal reference framework. It was called that by sociologist Eviatar Zerubavel in 1972. Zerubbabel went on to write, quote, One of the most remarkable accomplishments of the calendar reformers was exposing people to the naked truth, that their traditional calendar, whose absolute validity they had probably taken for granted, was a mere social artifact and by no means unalterable. However, the reformers must have realized the possible boomerang effects of that, since it was impossible to expose the conventionality and artificiality of the traditional calendar, without exposing those of any other calendar, including the new one, at the same time. One could not help realizing, for example, that if the seven-day week did not derive from the heavens and was merely an arbitrarily imposed convention, so was the 10-day decade. The new calendar could not be viewed as absolutely valid since its users witnessed its birth and knew that things used to be different in the past. One last thing to note, 1801 was not the very last of the French Republican calendar. During the Paris Commune, the revolutionary government that seized power in France from March 18th to May 28th, 1871, the Commune reinstated this controversial calendar. And that government only lasted for two months, one week, and three days. It was not recognized by everyone by any stretch. So at that point, the calendar did not cause the kind of disruption that it had caused almost a century earlier. There was plenty of other disruption happening during yeah. the, <laughs> the calendar was the least of the problems. Right, the calendar is kind of a side note. Um, yeah, the, uh, I legitimately love this story. 
it's so um kooky. It's the kindest way I could put it. I um I think we may have said this in the last episode where this came up briefly in the Robert Dunn episode, but like I didn't I didn't realize the extent to which this was a different calendar. Completely different. Yeah. And I know there are a lot of people in a lot of places around the world who historically or even more recently have like had to move to a different calendar and how chaotic that must have been. But this was very extra chaotic and on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I mean, I um, there's part of me that admires the effort, right, of going, like, as I often say, I love change. I find it very exhilarating. So, like, the idea of going, we're wiping the slate clean. We're going to start with this totally new system. There's part of my brain that, like, lights up at that. But then when I think about the logistics of, like, how do I know when to board my flight? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would be terrified then. So uh, yeah. we'll talk more about all of this terrifying madness on Friday. Do you have some listener mail for us before then? I do. I have a few pieces because uh, two of them are very short. And uh, so there are three altogether, but they're mostly very funny. Um, First is from our listener, Emily, who writes, Hello, I'm a longtime listener and fan of the podcast, and I'm getting caught up after a few weeks of being beyond busy with a new job. Congratulations, Emily. Uh, I just listened to the Ouija board episodes and Holly's comment about a Ouija board for cats in the behind the scenes episode reminded me of one of my favorite silly internet things I have come across. It is the POS board. This is a Ouija board for possums. The options are hilarious. All of the letters are the letter A, so it's just lots of screaming. Uh, The the words on it are faint or scream. <laughs> and the little planchette has tiny little possum handprints on it. It's very, very cute. Thank you. That was a delight and made me giggle. Um, the more meaty email comes from our listener, Aaron, who writes Hi, ladies, longtime listener, but this was the first time I heard something worth writing to you about. I love listening to the podcast on my commute to and from my job as an occupational therapist in a rehab hospital. Thank you for doing that work. It's important. Uh, I am also playing catch up on some recent episodes and had to do a double take when I heard you mention Russell Sage in the recent two-parter on Charles Chapin. I am an alumna of Russell Sage College in Troy, New York. Yes, named after the man himself and loved hearing a little bit more about our namesake. The folklore on campus was always that Mr. Sage was not fond of the idea of women's education, and so when he died, his wife, Margaret Olivia Slocum Sage, supposedly used the money he left her to found a woman's college out of spite in 1916. I'm not sure if that was truly the case, but it's always been a fun story to tell prospective students and their families while giving tours around campus. While there is no statue of Russell on campus, his wife does have a statue on the campus green, and the bookstore is named Moss after her, despite her stipulation that nothing be named in her honor. It's been a tradition to sit in her lap after important campus events, and I've included a picture my friends took of Margaret and I hanging out after our five-year class reunion in 2018. I've also included the requisite pet tax picture of my terrier Dalmatian mix Didi, who may be small in size, but is very large opinions. Keep up a great work. Um, this is hilarious, and I love it. I love that we have this picture of um, sitting in the lap of a statue. I know some people would probably find sitting on statues to be inappropriate. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Dee Dee is so stinking cute. Uh, I have a little dog crush. Uh, no. Here's the other thing. Our listener, Heather, wrote us with just a couple of suggestions, but Heather also included... 
pets in costumes because her puppies, Cooper, Bailey, and Theo, dress as characters from The Wizard of Oz, and it's amazing. So good. (laughs) They are so, so cute. So they are the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow. We have gotten some other good pet costume pictures, and I hope I will be able to give them all shout-outs. If I don't, please know they made me delighted just the same. Uh, If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. You can also find us on social media as Missed in History, and you can subscribe in the iHeartRadio app or wherever it is you listen to your favorite podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.